God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. And welcome to today's episode of Family Discussion. My name is Marcos Ortega, and as always, I am joined by the brilliant Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you doing today? Woo, I'm, you know, I'm doing good. Uh, I get brilliant today. That's awesome. Yeah, well, it's because you had the brilliant idea for what we're going to do in this episode. And uh, and here's, here's where we're at. Um, for those of you who are listening, you know, this is, last week was a rough week. Um, it was just, it was a rough week. Um, another hashtag, another shooting, another video. Um, on top of that, we're still dealing with the struggles of COVID. On top of that, everybody's fighting out of their minds about biblical manhood and womanhood. And I admit that I'm a little bit of a part of that and, and we'll just, it wouldn't have any, to anything side. to do with that endorsement on a certain book. That is coming out now. Would uh, it? That 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 came out. It came, oh, it's out now. Okay. That I think everybody needs to read. They can find that on Twitter. Listen, it's, it's crazy. And Lisa, I'm tired. <laughs> Frankly, I'm tired. The shooting last week just—I mean, it, it wasn't a shooting last week. The video that came out last week set me back. I was rough. Um, and we've been having some very good conversations, some challenging conversations about COVID mm-hmm. and I need a break and you need a break. You said to me, why don't you tell our audience your suggestion for what today's episode needs to be? So, you know, let, so let's think about the premise of this podcast and why it got started because you and I have some differences Not when it comes to, you know, Christ and his church. Well, maybe within Mm -hmm. that, there may be some little subtle distance, but in terms of the main thing. Yeah, but we still, we we agree that there is a Christ and that he is a church. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But, you know, some of the sub points, you know, but at the same time, so I think that we, you know, we value that. That's our highest priority. We value our unity in Christ, but let's face it, we started this podcast because we had some differences related to issue. You know, we have political differences. We have differences related to how we see social justice. Um, and so I thought that today's conversation centers on something that you and I can very much agree on. We in very that much can. We are both. West Wing fans. That's right. The West Wing. Now, I don't know if, if Lisa, if you're as much of a nerd as I am. Um, I'm going to assume not because I'm pretty dang nerdy. But I have kind of a running list in my head of my favorite TV shows and movies. Kind of like a top 
and the West Wing has been at the top of my top for a very long time. It is by far my favorite TV show, so much so that I kind of watch this thing on a loop. So uh, this is something that I've loved for a long time. Lisa, how did you get introduced to the West Wing? Uh, when it first came out. And okay. so this is a series, and in case our, our audience uh, has not um, had the um, good fortune uh, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry that you've been, you know, deprived. But you know, y'all need to, to get on Netflix. You've been deprived. It is on Netflix, so find it on Netflix. So it's a series that it ran from 1999 to 2006, seven years. And the executive producer was Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, he's the main writer and, and the main uh, he writer ran for, the four, show for for the, the first, first four seasons. years. Yeah. Um. And so it centers on uh, the Bartlett administration in D.C. Now, initially, the show was designed, or you know, to kind of highlight the staffers, um, yeah. you know, his advisors. And actually, if you, you know, the the initial episode, the president isn't even present in that episode it's all he shows up at the very end he shows up at the end but you know but you see you know you meet his chief of staff the press secretary the director of communications and that's really what the focus was but then you know it's it 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 turned it kind of centered on how does this administration operate right and um you know what's interesting to me now you know, my politics wasn't as refined as it is now. <laughs> and definitely then I would not have classified myself as a conservative. Yet I find myself every year, actually it's been a couple of years now, like you said, you had it on loop, where I go back and I watch the series again because I love it so much. Right. And yeah, there is a you know, when it comes to political paradigms, there's a rub. But I think that the way the series is put together, the writing, the topics, the issues they tackle, the character development, um, it just really makes for um, an intriguing watch. Absolutely. And, you know, it's one of those things where um, if you have uh, some political bones, and if you are a fan of really smart writing, and, and some people are in when they on and and you like TV that's it's high quality stuff. Um, you know it's. ago right? right so so some of the issues that they're talking about um you know i i'm watching it right now with my nine-year-old and um she's she's getting some of it the politics goes over her head um most of the time but she understands enough of it and it, it creates good mm-hmm. but i remember um the episode where there's um a huge debate over uh gays in the military mm-hmm and it's just like, man, don't ask, don't tell is from a different planet now. Right. <laughs> this is not the same conversation in today. But still, it's just such a compelling TV show. And mm-hmm. um, one of the things I find compelling about it is it's very idealistic. And oh, yes. so 
Lisa, I wonder, can you talk a little bit about the idealism of the show? Like, why the why is that an attractive thing? Well, I mean, it's it it represents what you know what America you know what our American principles are all about, right? By the people for the people. Um, that it takes into account, like how how can government work for the people? And it does so in a way, and I think especially in the later latter seasons, where it went—I wouldn't say it went off the rails, but it definitely didn't have you know the the grounding that maybe the first four seasons had. Um, but it you know, but the this administration is constantly having to address that particular um, you know that particular problem or that particular. Well, I- paradigm you know one of the things that's interesting when you watch through the series for example radio there's a mm-hmm. an incredible scene where the president dresses somebody down because they don't stand when he enters the room yes I um, that. even though and, from a uh, theological perspective i had an issue with that but you stand when the president comes listen here's the thing people know my politics now president trump walks in and I, yeah. I don't know. I don't have that you theological will be issue your per teeth, se. But <laughs> stand office, you got. <laughs> uh, but but you know it, it's this. Um, and so that's like the seeds of talk radio before what, what um, news now. media has become now, right? Yes. And uh, and so you see some of that in there. But these people who are kind of on the fringe, who are super disrespectful, who um, are only in politics for their own gain. Those people are cast as the ultimate villains and pushed aside. And the people from both sides of the aisle who are simply trying to serve their people the best they can, mm-hmm. um, those people are the heroes. Now, White House is a Democrat House. Yes. Yeah, that was that was a great scene. All that you want to mm-hmm. um, a candidate um, for for president that's played by Alan Alda, and so Ash fans want to go watch the last half of the series. Um, but you know, he's a he's a guy who just wants what's best for the country. Yes. Um, and yeah, they all have egos. They're all politicians, but they want what's best for the country. There's no like the Democrats are the good guys, the Republicans are the bad guys. Yeah. Although, you know, in fairness, uh, some of the ways that they, you know, when you talk about the extremists, some of the ways in which the Republicans were cast, were, you know, kind of portrayed, it, you know, it was a little bit of a caricature. But, you know, I understand it was. You know, it the the premise is centered around a democratic, um, you know, administration. So, uh, but that that was another little rub with me. But you're right. I think that the the counterbalance is the Republican characters that you know that kind of um, you know have this higher goal in mind. Right. Well, and there's you know there's these um, there's maybe we can talk a little bit about. Religion 
mm-hmm. uh, the West Wing. He's very first episode of the series uh, in in a. Christian Wright, you dump him in a box and you label And um it's a funny line that's incredibly unfair. Right. <laughs> but as you dig into the episode, you see even within the representation of the the Christian Wright, there is diversity. There's a couple people who are just loudmouths who want their own power. But then there's somebody who I think not Jerry Falwell that is much more reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yes, while a conservative evangelical while standing for his principles is willing to work with the other side. And, and it was, it's just interesting that even right away at the beginning, you start to see a little bit of his complexity, uh, of Sorkin's complexity when he's trying to deal with Christianity, um, Mm -hmm. and evangelicalism, which was a a big, it still is, but especially in the the late nineties, early thousands, Mm -hmm. um, the evangelical voting bloc was, was massive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's right. And, and, and you bring up the point, too, that this series was 20 years ago. Um, you know, there has, as you and I have talked in the previous episode, there has definitely been a shift in the Democratic Party. And I think that's another thing that I enjoy about it, because to me, it represents, even though I'm not a Democrat, and I have some issues with democratic principles or, you know, or ideology, it, to me, it shows a more, they represent a more classical liberalism that has been in place in the Democratic Party that you don't see now because there has been that shift towards a more progressivism. Um, And, you know, when we talk about extremes, um, you know that we see that now that that there was more um this show portrayed a more reasonable mm-hmm. um platform well it's interesting because within the within the uh, wrestling of the first few um first few seasons especially the first four you do see the tension between some folks who who are more moderate Democrats and those who are more liberal, and so you have um, kind of these liberal lions like Toby Ziegler, who's just trying to constantly push a much more liberal agenda. Right. Um, and then you got other folks like Josh Lyman who are like, well, "That's never going to work. We got to be a little bit more like you know pragmatic and and baby step this." And so even in the show, Democrats aren't just one thing. Republicans aren't just one thing, and I, I think that complexity really does. Um, make the show beautiful and compelling and and it also it it calls us to our higher selves it doesn't appeal to our basest instincts it calls us to our higher selves there's a scene that just popped into my mind where um, the president really wants um, voting reform mm-hmm. campaign finance reform and he's doing all these machinations to make it work and it comes down to one Republican and they sit down across from they're both career politicians, the president and this Republican. And uh, they each use kind of like slurs about themselves, you know. So the president calls himself like a yellow belly liberal or something like that. And the Republican calls himself a uh, rootin' tootin' redneck or something silly <laughs> like that. And the president asks him to do something. The Republican says, What do I get out of it? The president says, 
Thanks for a grateful. Own personal par partisanship. Right. And um, that would never in the Right. Yeah, that would not happen today. It, it called, and I don't know what happened back then. Let's be frank. <laughs> I mean, this is the idealism right. and almost the unbelievability of, of Sorkin. But it calls you to your higher self. It makes you imagine what government could be. And uh, that, that's why I think the show still resonates um, even 20 years later. Yeah. And you're right, um, you know, in terms of how he wrestles with Christianity, you know, I'm reminded, so two uh, episodes kind of, you know, come out, um, you know, come to mind in season two when uh, Mrs. Lanningham gets killed. That's the oh, president's man. personal secretary. She's oh. an older woman. She's excited about her new car. And then they learn that on the way back to the White House in her new car, she's struck and killed. Um, by another vehicle and so there, there's this scene in the cathedral oh, after man. her funeral where the president i hope he won he, awards for that scene he uh, i mean and he displays a an anger with god and although you know it he, i mean would it you know does it disrupt our christian sensibilities yes but let's be honest that scene to me, is a portrayal of what a lot of people feel in the face of tragedy. Faithful anger, in my mind, because one of the things that's interesting about later, um, I don't know that actually, and it's can change his character a little bit. When you watch the first episode, he uses that phrase that kind of a lot of liberal skeptics use. I've read my Bible from the front to the back right. or something like from cover to cover. Um, and and then he is a zinger on on uh, the issue of abortion. It's just it's it's very good writing and it's purposefully set up so that the president can be the smartest person in the room. And that's fine. Um, but his view of Christianity shifts um, later you get to a death penalty episode where he's having to, where he has his, um, childhood priest come up and, uh, and counsel him at the end of the episode. And you see that his Catholicism has been in there and it's been his, the way the show develops his Catholicism is very interesting where you see that he is a faithful follower of mm -hmm. his faith, trying to work that out in the political realm. And, um, the faithful cry in two cathedrals is why would you allow this to happen? It's, it's, it's a declaration of faith in some ways because he's saying you could have stopped this. Yes. You had the ability to stop there. For this to happen. Grief mm -hmm. out in anger. And I look like, you know what? We too quickly vilify out at the one that we know mm -hmm. to be a good protector um, but when you read Job 
And when you read Habakkuk, I mean, Habakkuk, how long do I need to cry violence and you do nothing? I mean, we tend to, why would you talk to God that way? I don't know, but Habakkuk did. Mm-hmm. So apparent, and, and God didn't come down to, to Habakkuk like he did to Job. He just answered his question. And I, I think that what we see in the West Wing there is a, um, in my mind, the the heart cry of someone who is hurting and is looking to God and saying, why would you allow this to happen? Yeah. And then we see a really, um, you know, the way that he's really moved, that his Catholicism, his faith is really moved in the Shibboleth episode, um, right. also in season two. Um, and it starts off with this group of uh, Chinese um, migrants that are, you know, they are um, picked up, um, their boat is picked up on off the coast of San Diego, and they're fleeing China because of religious persecution. They're, they're yeah. Christians. And so he has to wrestle with what to do with this group um, that is here illegally, but they're here because they're fleeing persecution. And the reason that it's called shibboleth was because there was this question, how do we know these people's faith is genuine? Right. And then he says, you know, if, you know, he, he goes about the story of shibboleth, he said, if he's able to say that, then we know. And there was this beautiful scene where, which, you know, okay, so we know Hollywood, generally there's a growing hostility against Christianity. But this man, this Chinese man, he's talking to the president about the work and person of Jesus Christ. You know, he's laying out the gospel. It's such a beautiful scene. Um, And then what he does at the end, you know, and that's where you have to go, huh? Because somehow, you know, so they, they, um, you know, so the, these Chinese people are detained, and somehow they they went away. They they're no they longer detained. Who, how did escape. how did that even happen? <laughs> um, this group of persecuted under, Christians, you know. <laughs> and it really makes you think about those kinds of moral dilemmas, where clearly there was some aid, some help on behalf of the administration for these Christians not to be sent back to China and face persecution. Right. Well, and you know, what's interesting about that episode is it is, um, there's a, there's a juxtaposition that happens between the faithfulness of the Chinese Christians. Um, and and they're describing the plight of these Christians coming over and the amount of people who died on the journey. Um, they're packed into these basically shipping crates to be able to escape. Like it's a, it's a harrowing journey. And what's interesting is um, two of the characters, Sam Seaborn and Joshua Lyman, sit down with leaders of the Christian right, um, of the evangelical community. And one of the characters who is kind of the, uh, one of the blowhard, not truly a Christian, just wants power evangelicals in the room is Mary Marsh. Yes. And oh. uh, we, we're, we're with her for the first couple seasons, seeing her pop in and out. And what's interesting is they're sitting at the table and um, the Jerry Falwell type character who is very, um, we're, we're to see him sympathetically. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, listen, everybody says that 
um, Christians are persecuted in China. And he walks down the thing and he says, and I say they're they're persecuted in China. You need to take that seriously. And then Mary Marsh starts going off, right? She says, and evangelical Christians will not stand by while this administration and it just kind of lays in. And Sam pipes in and says, yes, you will. You will absolutely stand by while religious persecution is happening. And he he lists out this um, would have been it would have been a heretical play from a Christian perspective. It would have been a deeply offensive play from a Christian perspective, Um, a play that is put forward by a playwright where Jesus Christ is gay. And he's saying, listen, this is a religious expression by this guy. And it's the evangelicals who feel like they're being persecuted by this. And feel like they need to raise a huge stink, and you know, and and it's and uh, a theater ended up getting burned down because of it. And it's this interesting juxtaposition of American evangelicals who think they're being persecuted because somebody is putting a play on, mm-hmm. and Chinese Christians yes. who actually are being persecuted or having to flee. And you, the faithfulness of this Chinese pastor, is in stark relief to the faithlessness of this evangelical woman. Mm-hmm. And and it's a stunning, like, I wonder what Sorkin's experience with Christianity has been where he's able to see the difference. He's able to see that there's the caricature and there are some people who live into that caricature, right? We have our Jerry Falwell Juniors and our Robert Jefferses today, right? Yes. Um, but then there's other Christians who are truly Christians who are simply trying to be faithful Sorkin was able to tell the difference between so often Hollywood discloses more complicated picture of of faith evangelicals in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And and that and I think that really just speaks to the you know, to the to the way to the depth of the characters that he tried to portray in the show. It also, we're not talking about COVID, but I have to talk about COVID a little bit, just because. Because this also the difference, and I'm going to say this, and, we, and then I'll, I'll change the subject. This is the difference between those Christians who are making, making a huge stink about how they're being persecuted for not getting to go to church right now, and those other faithful Christians who are simply trying to do their best to care for their neighbors, care for their congregation, and obey the law. Yeah. There are those who are all about the flash and the anger, and there are those who are about the faithfulness. And it is very important that we're able to tell the difference between the two. Um, but that that's that leads me to, to talk about um, and, and maybe ask, when you watch The West Wing and when you see um, the way that the issues are put forward, do you feel like Sorkin is fair to the Republican position when he gets into the issues? Or is, is the is the Republican argument portrayed well through the show, or do you feel like it's a caricature in and of itself? I think, you know, so Ainsley Hayes, I remember this scene, and I can't, it's, it's actually a little fuzzy, but I remember where she had an exchange with, I believe it was Sam, Sam mm-hmm. Seaborn. And she basically, you know, kind of laid out what the differences were in a way that I I thought was very fair, you know. And so you see through characters like her, like characters through, you know, Alan Alda's character, where they're clearly standing for, um, 
Republican principles, but at the same time always have their mind on on the greater good and not buying in to this, you know, to kind of like the hyper partisanship, um, you know, talking point philosophies that we have, you know, that are that's so prevalent today. If you're going to hold a position in Sorkin's world, you're going to have a reasoned, studied um, philosophy of government and ethics to be able to back up your your talking points. And and there's a couple times where the Democrats get in trouble for this, right? So when Ainsley Hayes is introduced into the show, it's on a talk show, and um, Sam has his talking points, and and the host tells Ainsley Hayes, who's never been on the show before, hey, just stick to the talking points and you're going to be okay. Sam gets the first question. He goes through the talking points, but the problem is the talking points are bad, and Ainsley Hayes knows her stuff, and she torches him. (laughs) She absolutely (laughs) torches him. It's brilliant, and it shows – not just is is Sorkin trying to bring a Republican in as as a sympathetic character and not just the bad guy, but he's also showing that in in his political world, talking points aren't enough. You mm. can't just know how to quip. You have to know your stuff if you're going to be able to handle it. And so, this is why you got a president who's constantly quoting Latin. This is why you've got folks who can just pull fact thin air. It's it's not. Just because, well, that's unreasonable. Nobody could know all this stuff. It's because he's trying to show, hey, if you want to run a country, you need to know what you're doing. And mm-hmm. and just kind of being an empty suit, just kind of being somebody who is a great personality maybe, but only has talking points, isn't going to fly for very long. That's going to get exposed. Right. So who is your favorite character? Oh, man. Uh, I think it's Josh Lyman. Um, well, I don't know. Uh, I'm torn. I have a love for President Bartlett that just he is everything I wish a president would be. Mm. Um, I, I I agree with most of his politics. There's a couple issues, of course, where I don't, um, even though the Sorkin does this interesting thing where um, both President Bartlett and then uh, the the Democratic nominee later in the show, Santos, both are very queasy about abortion. It's really interesting that neither Democrat leader likes abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, they're reticent to get in the way, but they, they make a point of not liking it. And then the Republican candidate later is pro-choice, which gets them in a lot of trouble. Um, it's fascinating. So that makes me think Sorkin's not convinced on the issue, that he himself mm. is still wrestling through this. Because um, a writer is reflected in the work, right? Um, but, um, you know, I, I think... President Bartlett's desire to do the right thing at any cost is something I want to see in a president. I I don't have to agree with that president. I just want to believe that he's got the best interests of the country at heart. Mm -hmm. It's not about himself, but that he's really trying to do what he can to, to lead the country. And I'll be honest, I, um, I've believed that about most presidents that I've lived under, um, even if I disagree with their politics. Um, e- even though I disagree with a lot of Obama's policies and foreign policy and on the issue of abortion, I, I do believe he wanted what was best for the country. I believe President Bush, as much as I disagree 
um, things like the the Iraq War and stuff like that. I do believe that President Bush was trying to do the best he could for the country. And, and I think Bartlett embodies that. So I, I just, I have love for a fictional character that makes me feel really strange. But I, I really do love what he embodies because it's, I would want in a president. Yeah. And, you know, and, 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 and that makes me think from time to time, especially, you know, um, when we knew we were going to do this episode, is how, you know, what would Bartlett do in the face of a pandemic? Because as far as I, I can remember, there was never a episode where they had to deal with a pandemic. But I don't think there it, all, it, all, it, it, you know, it kind of makes my imagination run like, what, what would Bartlett do? Uh, in the face of this pandemic. Oh man, I have to be so careful here. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, I'm just not a trick question. <laughs> it's a, it's not a trick question. It's a trap question. <laughs> no, I, I, I think I, I have a lot of issues with Governor Cuomo. I do. I, I, he passed and championed. Um, one of the most egregious and horrifying um, pro-abortion bills that we've seen in this country. That was Cuomo. Which, so what by I, the way, because I told you I watch him every day. Mm -hmm. And it's mind-boggling to me how someone who has, who has that belief about abortion can be so adamant about protecting life about life being priceless and i was like why don't you think that way about the unborn children i think because it's about the framing of the discussion hmm. if you frame the discussion around the children then i i hear you if you frame the discussion around the women and around the um and around caring for the women i i can see how you can go there because you end up prioritizing one life over the other um, this is why i think in the pro-life movement we have to be much more intentional about caring for the woman if you want to save a child then you care for the mother that's how you do this you don't just talk about the baby you say how do we make sure this mom is set up for success and I don't know the pro-life movement has been good enough at that. And I think we've allowed ourselves to be in a position where the pro-choice movement can turn around and say, you don't care about the women. And um, while that's an unfair charge, I think that we have maybe strategized in a way that at least opens us up to that charge. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why he can go there. But when it comes to this pandemic, if I think about what Bartlett would do, I, I see an echo in Cuomo. Mm -hmm. um, and I say that, while saying I despise his positions on other issues. And so I am not sitting here waving the flag for Cuomo. Um, and, and if you want to know where I stand in regards to Cuomo, I wrote an article for Reform Margins in response to the uh, New York abortion bill that passed, um, which was very critical of, of that bill. And so I don't want to be getting emails and tweets from people saying that I'm some far left pro-choice crazy man. But when I think about how people are dealing with the pandemic, Cuomo for me is as close as I can get to how would President Bartlett do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I thought the same thing. I absolutely thought the same thing. People are um, going to come for would, you now. That Republican card is about to get yanked. <laughs> there would be a consciousness about 
the you know the hurting the suffering of the american people um there would be a an insistence that we not do anything to to jeopard to jeopardize mitigation or you know so i i, I think you I, I i agree with you i see those those kind of echoes so who would be your favorite character you know that's a, so i am torn between cj craig she's a beast and, yeah. and alice it's and jenny thing, will never know. hear this never hear this I, I i'm under no illusions but Aunt Alice and Janney is the reason why I want my daughter watching The West Wing. And I want her to see women like CJ and be like, I want to be her when I grow up. Yeah. Um, and, and Sam Seaborn. So it's a, cross bet- it's a cross between those two. I think Sam has, I think he's very idealistic. And he, you know, he, he always wants to see, you know, what's, what's the best? What's, what's, what's the bigger picture? What, you know, what do we need? What do we really need to think about here? So, and, and very, I mean, he is very idealistic, but it's a, it's a cross between those two. Absolutely. I get that. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Lisa, and I hope everybody enjoyed listening to this episode as we took a little bit of a break from the coronavirus conversation. That's it for us today on Family Discussion, and we hope to see you all again next time. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion.